Well, welcome to another uh, edition of Boilers Extra Podcast After Dark. Not four in the morning, but it is dark. And this yeah. is a mobile version of the podcast. Back on the road. We're, we're moving and heading south on uh, I-69, and Nathan's job is to make sure that the deer are watching the World Series tonight and not getting on the interstate. <laughs> well, uh, I have not had great luck with deer in this general region of the Midwest, so I, maybe I'm not the best guy to put on that job. But just so you know, we are safe. We are, you know, no one is at risk while we talk. It, it'd just be the same if we didn't record this. That's what that's what this is. <laughs> two, pe- two guys in a car talking about football, and that's that's probably the best thing that can We're happen. We're recording the rehearsal. <laughs> All right, well, Purdue lost uh, today at Michigan State, 23-13. to 13. Maybe not a complete shock that they lost. I, You know, I picked them to win. I know you picked Michigan State to win. Um, and just because I, I picked Purdue to win just because I, I just thought Michigan State was in kind of a, a bad situation, and I thought Purdue could generate enough offense to get to 20 points before Michigan State got to 20 points, and that obviously didn't happen. So my initial hot take from the game is that Purdue still has a lot of work to do when it faces elite Big Ten defenses. I think they've they put up a lot of yards. they put up a lot of points the last four or five games. And Ohio State has elite athletes, but I wouldn't consider them an elite defense. But today was the first time that this Purdue offense had a chance to face a defense of this caliber and season low in points, season low in yards, and just didn't look fluid and functional uh, throughout, throughout the game. Well, Purdue's offense actually did generate enough offense to score 20 points. If you if you separate special teams away from the offense, they you know the Spencer Evans field goal right before halftime had the distance, if not for the false start that sent him back five more yards and, and cost him those points. And then who knows what happens on the 42-yarder there at the end if they're able to clear the line. Um, I'm, I'm not completely sure if if I don't maybe take the gamble there if I'm Purdue and, and go for more than just the field goal there, uh, just, just juncture of the game, distance to go, all that stuff, and, and just being aggressive has, has played so well for them, I thought they might take that chance, especially because they'd gone for a, a a worse fourth down situation, I thought, earlier in the fourth quarter, but uh, no, is I that agree your, with, Is that your hot take? My, my hot take <laughs> is that as Purdue made winning look so hard in the first three games of the year. And then they made winning look so easy for four straight games. And the reason I picked Michigan State to win this game more than anything was that I thought they were Purdue was due for a night where they, for instance, turned the ball over. Uh, they, they've been they've been living on such borrowed time and, and and kind of walking on water a little bit as far as turnover avoidance. I thought they were probably due for a game where there was just some adversity that would would maybe pile up on them in a way that it hadn't been happening. I mean, they've just been rolling for four weeks. It, they were just sort of due for a bit of a, a step back. I thought Michigan State was maybe better than they looked against Michigan, at least uh, from an offensive standpoint. Maybe that actually wasn't even borne out. But, it, it, you know, at the end of the day, what happened today was Purdue played a really good team on the road and didn't win. 
uh, that happens in the Big Ten. It's what ultimately separates which team wins a Big Ten and which one doesn't. But it, it's not a... I don't think it, it exposed them as frauds or anything. Um, it was just a, it, the, the kind of loss that happens when you're in the middle of that bell curve that we've talked about before. Um, it, it doesn't devastate potentially big goals that are there for Purdue the rest of the way. But I think it does reinforce to them that as easy as it looked the last four weeks, the margin for error is still really small. They can't afford to make the mistakes that they made uh, turning the ball over and, and making some pretty significant miscues on special teams. Right, and I, w- I want to be clear. I, I don't think there was a letdown after Ohio State from a, an emotional standpoint. I, I didn't get the sense that they were flat today. And when you don't do a lot on offense, the perception is that you are flat. I, I didn't get that sense today. I just thought they came up against a really good defense. They knew they were going to face a really good defense. And these are some program old pro- problems that keep haunting this You know, this program is being able to separate on the outside against better athletes, being able to protect long enough to give your quarterback uh, a chance. You know, the inability to run the ball consistently against a really good defensive front played a factor in today's game. But I, I don't, and I know the the letdown, and you know, I wrote about it a little bit. But I, I know that's a, a you know kind of a, a common theme among people that well, they were just you know it was a letdown after Ohio State. Well, you're going to have a you're going to have a letdown anyway in, in some respects. But I, I don't think that really played a role in their preparation or played a role in the actual uh, game today. I just I, I thought they got beat by a better defense, and I thought Michigan State's offense, even with the new quarterback, Rocky Lombardi, did enough to keep Purdue's defense uh, on its edge. And, you know, Purdue's defense kind of did what it has done all year. It's given up yards. It just hasn't given up a lot of points here recently. And a Jeff Brom offense should be able to get more than 23 points against uh, 13 or 13 well, points. Your defense gave up 23, but right, right, right. You should be able to get more than 13, and they had opportunities to get more than 13, and they just didn't. They didn't do it, and I, I firmly believe that they they have to solve that that problem, and they may not be a problem that gets solved this year, because I think it's it only gets solved when you get some better players yes. at some key positions, but. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. This is not a crushing loss. This doesn't really change, in my opinion, where this program is at uh, and where where it's headed. It's a little bit of a missed opportunity based on what else happened in the Big Ten today. But you still have to go out and win four more games or at least try to win four more games to, to put yourself in the best position possible. So, I, I you're right. It was going to be an inevitable storyline this week. How does a team like Purdue respond to the emotion of a game like Ohio State? That is almost an opponent to itself, separate from the opponent you're actually playing in the game on Saturday. And I I presented that to Kirk Barron after the game, and he very quickly was like, I, I, I didn't want to hear any of that today. This wasn't about that. This was, we went and played a really good team. Michigan State is always really good, and we just didn't make enough plays to win today. And he's right. And then you ask Jacob Thieneman about it, and you ask um, Lorenzo Neal about it, and they both said that they felt like there was some truth to it. And it wasn't that they were overconfident, that they felt like because they beat Ohio State, now they're just going to beat anybody. And it wasn't that they were just having a 
week of uh, frolicking and not paying attention to football and preparing for the game, but that it it, it, it naturally is more difficult to re- focus and re- kind of return and, and put all the distractions of all of this stuff that's going on now around your program. It's difficult to put all of that aside, especially when you've never experienced it before, and move on and, and have all of your focus back on football in school, I guess, where it's supposed right. to be. And, and, I, I, and I think that they're probably right, too, a little bit. It's just part of the, the growing process for this program. I think it's at some point, the next step will be you beat Ohio State, and it's not, and the world doesn't stop. And it's very easy to move on to that next game. So that's just part of the, the growing process, and it, and it will be easier once they get, like you said, once they get better players. But at the end of the day, I thought today was just, again, Michigan State's a really good football team. Before the season, uh, not to not to uh, call your your guess into question, but before the season, you picked Michigan State as the preseason Big Ten champion. That's who you right. thought. Uh, it's been based on the strength of the starters they had coming back. Um, this is a this is a talented team. Yeah, they're banged up on offense right now. And to uh, I mean, I was talking to Chris Solari, who covers this team for the Detroit Free Press after the game, and just he's never you say he's never seen anything like it. They've had every offensive lineman but one has been hurt at some point this year. They've had some like nine receivers banged up. Um, they're using DBs at receiver and moving them back and forth, or at least one in particular that had a, a decent game. Um, you know, it's this is a really talented team. It's, again, it's the thing that Purdue aspires to do is to have, to be able to, if you win back-to-back games like them, like this, people would think it's um, almost expected. And not that they would take it for granted, but yeah, you achieve something, but it's not. Again, the world doesn't stop just because you're beating good teams from the East. That's still something that Purdue is aspiring to. It's not a level they've reached yet. Right. And not to go back too far again with Ohio State, but that whole day with the emotion of the Tyler Trent story going national and being on game day, they, they rode that wave of emotion and it was a perfect, it was just a perfect day and a perfect storm for everything to culminate the way it did uh, in the game. And now you go on the road, you've got to generate your own energy right. while people are still talking about Tyler Trent. The players are not sitting around watching right. his story again and feeding on that emotion. And uh, you're not at home. And you're not and, at home. And yeah. Michigan State did not help Purdue today the way the Ohio State helped Purdue in that game with a bunch of penalties, right. with other miscues, uh, with some, some bad defensive breakdowns because Michigan State is a better defensive team than Ohio State is by, I think, any measure. Um, it's, it's, you know, they, they a lot of the, everything was kind of just lining up. There was this four-week build up to last week and then just this big crescendo and then it's not that Purdue couldn't have won the game today they were it was there to be won but yes yeah, some some letdown was almost natural in that situation yeah and as you as you go through the game you know things started you know kind of uh sluggish for both teams I mean I, I think both teams kind of moved the ball a little bit we had a we had a war of field goals uh early on and you got the feeling that if, if if one of the teams could get a touchdown, that that would allow them enough separation to, to, to probably uh, uh, control the game. But, you know, when you look at offensively, you know, David Blau was under a lot of pressure today. Um, and even when he wasn't out under a lot of pressure, he did not have a good game. And he, he, he'll be the first to admit it, and he did. And it wasn't just him falling on the sword for the loss. It was truly he did not have a good game. I think some of his happy feet returned uh, that plagued him a couple years ago. Um, and, you know, I think part of that is just not – he really hasn't been in that situation this year. I mean, when you look at the 
since he started against Missouri, uh, there hasn't been a lot of pressure come his way. I mean, the, the teams that they played just didn't apply that kind of pressure. He had time in the pocket to set his feet, let his receivers come open. Uh, and today he didn't have that kind of time. He was he was looking to get rid of the ball. You know, he took his shots downfield, and uh, the, the re- most of the receivers just couldn't separate. Uh, I think I added up. They had three three plays of 20 yards or more, which is this is a, an offense that averages 6.5. Uh, so they, they fell short in that area, and Michigan State's defense doesn't give you those kind of plays. There were a few there for the for the taking, but they they, they didn't do it. So offensively, it was a bit of a uh, it was a bit a bit of a struggle all day. And I, I thought a key one key moment. There there's several, but you know they get the muff punt in yeah. the first quarter. Yeah. Uh, they get down to the four. They got first and goal at the four, yeah. and they're backed up on a six yard loss on a pass to, to Rondell. Uh, and then they have they, they settle for a field goal. You just you get a touchdown there. That kind of I think it changes the dynamic of the game. It gives you confidence. It kind of uh, puts them on edge a little bit. But I, I just thought the offense, and I, in part because of Michigan State's defense, just kind of played on a just played on its heels all day. Yeah, and you know one moment like that doesn't cost you a game. But when there's that moment, plus you take a field goal off the board. Plus, you get a field goal that's blocked. Plus, I mean, you can name like three or four more things. Each one unto itself doesn't cost you a game, but uh, it, collectively, they almost don't give you a chance to win it at the end. And that, that's that's what happened. I mean, you know, Michigan State then gets that lead scored, and, and that was that was all she wrote. Right. But well, in reality, this is a 16-13 game. Yeah. It's, a, it's a field goal game, and yeah. uh, you know they, you know Purdue was selling out for something there at the very end, and Michigan State kind of caught them. Uh, in the in the right situation. So while it ends up 10, this is, I think, a field goal game at the end. Yeah, I, I will also say, though, that as well as David Blau's played, I praised him, and I, I not praised him, but you know, complimented him, and, and I stand by that. He's played really well, obviously, through this whole winning streak. But he's also not the kind of guy who's going to go out and be an elite defense on his own. Like, he's not going to be the guy who, just with his skills, is going to go out against one of the best defense in the Big Ten and just carve them up. And you, I thought it was interesting that Purdue had very obviously, really for several weeks now, come out throwing the ball to start the game as a way to set up the run. I mean, Ohio State was a very textbook example of that, the way that they were able to, to get some of those huge plays late in the game. Um, but, but it's been a consistent theme that that's what they do. And then today, what do they do? They come out and run the ball in the first two plays of the game. And and we're, we're really trying to run the ball, I thought, a lot early on. And I, it didn't work. And, it, and I thought it helped it held back kind of both sides of things. They weren't able to run the ball well on early downs. And that cost them later on downs because now Michigan State's bringing more pressure in a situation that's already a tougher position from a, trying to get a first down out of that spot. And uh, I, I don't think Blau responded that well to it. Um, I, the, the one t- the one interception on the Bryce Hopkins hit, I kind of give them a well, pass on. He yeah, got just crushed in the, another dimension. That's on that a play. that's a weird that's just uh, a weird turnover. It's almost a fluke. But, yeah. Um, the first interception I, I do think was on Blau. Yes. I just, that was not a good read. Um, and so again, probably kind of due for a game like that, especially when you were taking a step up, just in the terms of the quality of the defense you're playing. So the, the good thing for Purdue is you've still got four games left in the season, and a, a lot of goals attainable ahead of you. And this is probably a week 
that brings it back to reality a little bit and is it could be the kind of catalyst for improvement over these next four weeks the way that 0-3 start was. Right. You know, defensively today, I, I thought Purdue did what it's done defensively, especially in these last five games or four games, is they're going to give up some yards. They're not a three-and-out defense. Uh, they're going to give up yards, but they're just going to limit the damage from a point standpoint. I, I don't like to use bend but don't break kind of defense, but that's kind of what they are in a way. They'll use it multiple times. So yeah, that's what they do. yeah, but they, you know, they'll, they'll, they're going to give up some some five, six, seven play drives, but in the end, they're either going to force you out of field goal range or force you to kick a field goal or force you to do something or just get off the field on third down in the third 15 situation where you got a punt. And, you know, I thought for the most part they they, they did a good job as far as um, keeping Michigan State out of the end zone. Uh, you know, the, I, the touchdown at the end of the first half was probably a killer when you think about it because Purdue had you know, Purdue had got pin, pinned in its own territory. Joe Shopper unleashes this 74-yard punt. So Michigan State's got to start at the 13. And there's less than two minutes to go, I believe, or around two minutes to go. And it's a 6-6 uh, six, six game at that time. So at that point, you're Purdue. You're trying to get into the locker room tied at 6. But... It was a, uh, I think I described it as a pitch and catch drive for Michigan State. They just went right down the field uh, and caught balls, got out of bounds, and before you know it, they were they were in the end zone. And so that's probably the one drive where you needed a little bit more from your defense. But you know, overall, and you know, you are facing a first-time starter quarterback, so maybe you. Maybe you thought you could rattle him a little bit more than what you did, and maybe you should have rattled him a little bit more uh, than what you did. But you know, but they, you know, they didn't on the, on this day, and they, they needed to to maybe force him into a few more mistakes. I was getting a lot of consternation from Purdue fans on social media about this defensive approach, and all I kept telling them was, "This is you're not seeing anything different than you haven't seen the last few weeks." I mean. I know that Ohio State threw the ball 73 times. They still got, like, whatever, 500 yards. I mean, they got a ton of yards. Completed 41 passes. Right. And, you know, this this Purdue is not a shutdown defense right now. It has not been, even through this winning streak, even when they're only giving up seven points to Illinois, that has more to do with Illinois, Illinois in some ways <laughs> than it does with um, Purdue just, just shutting them down. You know, this has been an offense that's, that's willing to give up yards in, in these smaller chunks because they do know that eventually – they, they, all they got to do is eventually win that series. They hold you to a field goal, or or they, they you know, they sometimes even better than that, as we saw last week against Ohio State, you know, making some big goal line plays. The, the, at the end of the day, like you said, this is really a 16-13 game if you take away that sort of circumstance-based touchdown that Michigan State scores. So, how realistic is it to expect your defense to hold a team to 12 points? That's essentially what you were asking today. And in college football. At Purdue's level right now, that's not realistic to ask them to go out and do that. Um, and I, this, the defense played well enough to win today. The defense, they, they should have won the game by the way the defense played today. It was the offense that didn't come through. We thought the opposite was the case, but that's the, we're coming into the season, we thought the opposite was going to be the case. It was sort of a hallmark of some of those early games, you know, the Eastern Michigan game in particular, where the defense played well enough to win, 
ways with today. Um, it just, just enough things went wrong to hold you back on offense, to cost you on special teams, to send you home with a loss. Um, and, and any number of, of things they have to go back and, and tweak this week. Uh, again, still, still an opportunity to do special things this season, depending on they're just going to need more help from now for the rest of the Big Ten. Well, and the other thing, too, is that they, they this secondary tried to play man-to-man earlier in the year, like against Eastern Michigan, right. and got lit up. Because so, they were getting beat at the, at the catch every week by, by teams like that. It was, it was consistent. They had to change something up on defense. This is what they went to, and it's worked. Well, but you're also trying to make sure you get some pressure, which they didn't get but a hand, you know maybe a couple times today or uh, and uh, Lombardi is is a is a running quarterback so you have to respect that where Lewerke's not a big running quarterback not as not as big as this guy but the, you know the point is yes this is how they played most of the year uh, this is how they've helped their team win four in a row before today so uh, it, it looked it didn't look good but the alternative is there's passes going over their heads. And the whole point is just to keep them in front of you as best you can and then make the play. Just don't get a bunch of yards after the catch. Uh, and, you know, and that's you know, that's, that's just how it played out today. But you're also looking to get more pressure and disrupt uh, disrupt some things on the, on the offensive line. But, you know, we... We usually don't talk about special teams a whole lot because they're not. There's not a negative there, and there's not. There hasn't been an, probably an over overwhelming positive with special teams in a lot of areas. But you know, today's that day where uh, you get a false start penalty at the end of the first half, taking a 52-yard field goal and making it a 57-yard field goal, and Spencer Evans is short. And I saw him about hit five a, yards short. I, I, yeah, I saw him hit a 52-yarder in warm-ups. So when they lined up, it's like, well, he hit this in warm-ups. He should be able to get he the kicked distance. it. Yeah, on the, on the penalty. Yeah, like it was good. But that's where you have your tight end, Darius Pittman, who had a false start. And that's when Jeff Brom talks about margin for error. That's exactly what he's talking about. Those are the little mistakes that come back and haunt you. And then you get a field goal block when you're trying to tie the game. Uh, and then, you know, the one play that I, I really didn't write about, and it probably had some factor, but not a major factor, in my opinion, but when, when Purdue does block the field goal, yes. Lorenzo Neal blocks the field goal, and it, it, it rolls toward the goal line, um, and it just and it sits there. I believe it was, it was a Purdue player, first of all, that got on the ball, uh, and... He, there was no reason to do that. I mean, the ball just would have been blown dead, and Purdue would have got the ball at the, at the 20-yard line. Instead, it, it they not, got... Yeah, and it was not a rogue Purdue player doing this. There were multiple Purdue players in pursuit of the ball. Right. One of them just happened to get there first. Right. Which is what told me. And that's what stood out to me there was that was... I put that on coaching. Like, that's a whole section of the team doesn't is not aware of the circumstances of the game there. Um, so if it's just one player who doesn't who goes and does something, I can put it on him. But when I saw two or three guys converging, at least from my recollection, I, I don't remember the re- seeing the replay, but watching the play happen, I saw multiple guys converging. That to me tells me that that unit was not prepared for that scenario. 
Right, it, it, but the, the end result did pin Purdue back at its one, and it went three and out. Um, because it couldn't run the ball. Couldn't run the ball, and I think when Michigan State got the ball, it did get a field goal. So it did. It had a bearing on the game. I, I don't think it decided the game, but it did have a bearing a little bit on the game. It just makes it that much tougher. You have bigger deficit to come back from and less time to do it with. Right, well, you're down 10 instead of a, a seven. And I think Michigan State got the ball at midfield uh, after that. Uh, but those are the little, again, those are the little things, not the awareness uh, or hearing your sideline or hearing a teammate stay away from it, stay away from it type of thing. And uh, you know, I know multiple people were, were going after it. Uh, but again, you, you're right. That's, that's a sideline thing that, that, has, to, that has to get relayed in, in, a, in a quick fashion. And it didn't. So, you know, special teams today, you know, probably, you know, you block a field goal, but you get one blocked, but then you have that play, uh, and you miss another field goal, which not really on the kicker because of the false start penalty. I, I don't know. That's probably, it's almost a wash at the end, at the end a little bit because you had some good things and you had some, some bad things. And, you know, Evans did hit two field goals in the first half. Uh, so I, I don't know how you how you thought about just did things just kind of even out with special teams today. Yeah, it, you know, because the, there were some positives. I mean, Joe Shopper had a 74-yard punt, three yards short of the school record. That he got kind of a favorable roll on. He also had a pretty bad one earlier in the game. Uh, Ronan Moore had a nice kick return and had some bad ones. Yeah, this is a game where. Realistically, they probably needed a boost from special teams. You're on the road against a really good defense. They just didn't really get... They had too many mistakes there that they couldn't overcome in other ways um, in, in a close game. And the other thing is the points that they left on... The points that they left on the field from a special team standpoint. Michigan State also, and, and this I don't want to contradict myself, saying that I thought Purdue's defense played well enough, and I think you alluded to this. How many times did he overthrow a guy that was wide open downfield? Like, I can think of two oh, yeah. where there was a guy just streaking down the seam and he just launched it over his head. Right. Um, uh, Lombardi. His, his deep passes were not good today. No, and that's <laughs> not his strength yet, <laughs> right. if, if it ever will be as a freshman. But Michigan State left some points out there, too. This could have been not as close of a game if, if, uh, right. if some Purdue guys got really burned and got uh, really excited when they saw how far the ball was going downfield. So... Uh, again, just uh, Purdue. This was not a sharp game for Purdue in a lot of facets, uh, obviously, and something again to try to, to correct. But but also, uh, you're still there. I mean, you're still there within a score late in this game to beating Michigan State on the road. There, there's a positive to be taken away from that. I'm, saying, I'm not making excuses or we're trying to, to, to sugarcoat anything. Um, Purdue has elevated itself, but not elevated itself to a point where it can just make the mistakes it did today and still win a game. Right, so now this puts Purdue in a a colossal tie. Well, it's a three-team tie, but in a seven-team division, it's colossal in my mind. Uh, so you got Northwestern on top of the West Division at five and one, and you have Wisconsin, Iowa, and Purdue all at three and two. The, the chances, you know, Purdue got got into the race last week with the win at Ohio State. No, uh, against Ohio State, no question about that. They're not out of the race yet, but like their team and like their season, they they need they need to be nearly flawless the last four games, and they need some help to to win this. Because unless Northwestern just collapses, 
and they have Minnesota, Illinois, and they still have Iowa, then they they are the they are the favorite to win this thing, and they should win this thing right now. Even even with no running game, I don't even know what they ran today, but coming into today, they had absolutely no running game uh, on that offense. But you know, the point is, Purdue still has a lot to play for. It has bowl eligibility to to try to go get and should get at this point. Uh, and you know, next week's Iowa game is basically an elimination game from from the Big Big Ten West standpoint. The loser just I don't think has any any chance of, of getting back in the mix, and the winner just stays alive. Well, yeah, yeah, no, especially yeah, and and especially in Purdue's case because it already has that loss to Northwestern. Um, that that's, that tiebreaker is gone. Yeah. It can't. And so um, it would it, again, yeah. If there was a big scenario where everybody's all clustered together with the same number of losses, I. But I think everybody's going to beat Nebraska, Minnesota, and Illinois too. So it's. it's that, that, that's not going to help them either. I mean, Purdue is in a situation where it's just probably got to win out to stay in that that uh, in that conversation at all. It's still there, and those last two games are, are clearly winnable. Um, not taking anything for granted, but obviously, even having to go on the road to beat Minnesota and, and Indiana, I think I think those are winnable games um, for Purdue. Just because from an offensive standpoint, I don't know if those teams can stop. They're not. Purdue's they don't have the kind of they. Right now, based on what I've seen, right, they they don't have the resistance on defense that you would face in a Michigan State, or you're going to face with Iowa coming up next week, or even even at Wisconsin's level. Even though Wisconsin's had had some issues this year on the defensive side, Uh, but yeah, those are two games Purdue Purdue should win. To me, the best scenario for Purdue and is if somehow they could win out, but not win the West. That way you you don't get you don't get to play that game in Indianapolis against either. You know, I, I don't think Purdue is really ready to play Michigan this year's Michigan team, yeah, I and I don't think they want to play Ohio State again. Uh, that's Michigan State does. Well, <laughs> I mean Ohio State does. Right, but uh, that would be the best case scenario. Purdue finishes second. They get a good bowl game out of it. They have seven wins, maybe eight. You know who knows, and. Yeah, they end their season that way. Yeah, yeah, ultimately you want to win a championship, and that's what Jeff Brown's going to preach, and uh, and the the players want to win a championship because you go back to what David Blau said, uh, la- you know, last week after the Ohio State, they just don't want to be a five and seven, six and six uh, Purdue team that beat Ohio State. They want they want that win to count for something, and they want it to lead to something. And if it leads to a better bowl game, if it leads to um, if it does lead to being in Indianapolis for the Big Ten Championship, then then so be it. But, uh, you know, I think Purdue can put together a winning streak, but, you know, I think that, that biggest hurdle is coming uh, against Iowa because Iowa's going to be coming off a loss. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good defensive team, equal to, to Michigan State in run defense, uh, and they have a better quarterback, a much better quarterback. That way, and they have two fabulous tight ends that are going to be difficult uh, for that defense to cover. So, in, in some ways, it's it's it might be a little bit of a bigger challenge next week for Purdue to play Iowa. Yeah, and I don't even think you have to win out for, uh, for some pretty great scenarios for Purdue. Let's say they split against Iowa and Wisconsin, win those last two. Now you're at seven wins, 
and then you go to a bowl game and win that. I mean, again, it's all completely speculative. But look at what an eight-win season after an 0-3 start, including a loss home to Eastern Michigan. Kind of beyond your wildest comprehension almost at that point in the season. Um, that would still be a, a, a very successful season by almost any team standards, and certainly for what, what Purdue has been doing in recent years, and a year that where maybe even getting back to six looked like it was going to be tough. So I, if I'm, you know, this coaching staff, I think, has an opportunity here, though, because, all right, you look at these standings, you look at where you are, you look at the backs, your backs against the wall a little bit in terms of some of these tiebreakers, but there's still an opportunity ahead of you. So now, kind of like last year, where they had to win out with, on a, with a quarterback on a torn ACL to even get in the bowl contention, now you say, all right, you know, starting next week, this is our first playoff game, this is our first championship game. Um, you can't, you know, nothing is attainable for Purdue in terms of any kind of staying in that conversation unless they beat Iowa at home next week and you get to kind of treat it that way. You get to treat it with that kind of seriousness and that kind of focus. Um, and if they think that focus drifted a little bit this week because of the, the jubilation of the previous week, then maybe the loss of this week, uh, the, the taste of that, helps them buckle down a little bit more. Who knows? Um, but it's, it, I think it's an opportunity there for this coaching staff to just sort of recalibrate some things and, and refocus this team um, with, with opportunity ahead of it. No, I, I treat the Iowa game like you treat the Ohio State game. I mean, it's it's a, it's a huge game. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's a huge game. It's one that could springboard uh, your your season uh, in the month of November uh, and really and really finish this thing, this thing strong. But yeah, I I, I, I think that's going to be a really really uh, hard hard game uh, right now. Well, I guess we could go on forever, or we could go on like the World Series game did. Uh, no, we just Friday passed the night. Lions Den sign. We want to pull over and see if we get a sponsorship? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't think this podcast is going to last seven hours. No. Was it twenty minutes? Uh, yeah, something like that. Actually, in seven hours and twenty minutes, we could probably drive back to Lafayette and then back to East Lansing and the World Series well, that game. Sounds like a, that sounds like a bet. <laughs> I bet I could do it. Well, let's but but we're not going to try. <laughs> we're just not going to try. So if you if you hung with us this long, you get a little humor at the end, and it's not early in the morning where we're where we're batting. All right. Well, uh, that's going to wrap up this edition of the uh, Boilers Extra Podcast Special Post Game Edition. Uh, Boilers After Dark. Uh, Purdue on the short end today, 23-13 to Michigan State. Uh, we'll be back next week with a uh, a more in-depth uh, podcast, uh, maybe uh, looking a little bit back at the Michigan State game, but more looking ahead uh, to what's going to happen when uh, when Iowa comes to town, which I, I what I'm told is that uh, the game is pretty darn close to being sold out. Uh, about As of today, there were about 500 tickets left for that game, so I, I anticipate those being, uh, being those being sold by, by kickoff, so it'll be another... Uh, Another uh, festive atmosphere in uh, in Ross Aid Stadium coming up uh, when uh, when Iowa comes to town. So for Nathan Bear, uh, I'm Mike Carmen. I uh, will talk to you next week on another edition of the Boulders Extra Podcast. <laughs>